Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Episode 59, How to Raise Your Vibration and Be Your Authentic Self with international best-selling author Mandy Morris. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. We'll start this week with a quote from Brene Brown who says, Authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real. The choice to be honest. The choice to let our true selves be seen. Of course, that sounds great in theory. It can be very intimidating and downright scary to put into practice. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to Life Amplified. Why? The question is why, though? Why is it so hard for us to be our true selves? Well, a lot of times it depends on our childhood conditioning and the messages that we heard, as well as some of the messages that weren't explicitly said but implied in our family structures. And it can absolutely be about the messages that we get as we climb the corporate ladder in the workplace. So many of my clients have come to me and used the word chameleon. That you know who you have to be in the office to get ahead. And you know who you have to be when you're dealing with a client to get ahead. And over time, we get so caught up in being what other people need that it can be very hard to even remember who we are in the first place. And that's why I wanted to reach out to my new friend, Mandy Morris, and talk all about this topic. Mandy's awesome. She is the international best-selling author of the book, Love, It's How I Manifest. And she's the creator of the Authentic Program Series, an online training program created to help individuals reconnect with their authentic selves. Mandy's science and love-based methods for creating instant and lasting change have been researched, studied, and taught by therapists and coaches in the Netherlands, Sweden, Ireland, the UK, and the United States. Mandy has clients and certified coaches in 45 countries. 
Some of the topics Mandy is going to share with us this week are the five key components to connect to our authentic selves and bring that out in the workplace and at home. She'll tell us how separating yourself from your current job situation can give you the clarity and allow you to find the answers that you're looking for. Why experimentation and curiosity can lead you to your next right move. Why we shouldn't be afraid of our emotions and how being conscious of them can easily get us back into alignment. Why we must recognize whether our emotions are are based in love or fear. She'll give us some tools we can start using right now to help us understand and express what we're feeling within ourselves. And she's going to talk about the science behind our self-limiting beliefs and how our past traumas and experiences have hardwired our brains. If you love the interview, you can pick up Mandy's book, Love, It's How I Manifest, on Amazon. If you're loving what you hear, let Mandy and I know you're listening. You can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram and Twitter. You can tag her at Manifest with Mandy, and you can find me at CSC Dan Mason. And if the message resonates for you, share this podcast with your friends. And don't forget, we'll gladly accept those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcast, or just give us a follow on the iHeartRadio app. We're helping you reconnect to your authentic self. This is Mandy Morris on Life Amplified. Mandy Morris, welcome to Life Amplified. Thank you so much. Awesome to have you here. We're going to talk about the book, Love, It's How I Manifest, which people can find right now. And the topic today, I think, is so relevant. When you look at the statistics and you've got literally two and three people going to work every day at a job that they're disengaged in. So many people, I know that this was my case, you know, the last four years of my corporate career, feeling like a paid liar every day at work (laughs) and, you know, kind of having to play the game to get ahead and being in a job where so many people feel like they can't speak up for themselves. They can't set a boundary. Sometimes they feel like they can't present their creative ideas in the office. So I think this idea of like living authentically, both in your career and life is going to be such a game changer for people. But I also know that you have a personal experience with this and sort of, you know, chasing job after job. Can you talk a little bit about your corporate career, how you got to this point and how you were able to blow stuff up and just reinvent your life on your terms. Yes, absolutely. So I started working when I was 15. I grew up with a very independent mother. And so she's like, you are going to work and work and work. And this is how you're going to do it. And so I was usually balancing like three jobs at a time. And I worked in junkyards, corporate jobs, you name it, I've done it. All of them feeling slightly off, but also I had a belief that that was normal. So when I jumped into my corporate career at a very young age, I was actually still completely completing my first degree and I totally sucked at it. It was cold calling, which if anyone who's ever done that before, that is a huge growth pattern in and of itself. It was a wonderful company, but I was really kind of selling myself and it felt so wrong the whole way through. And I decided I'm going to shut off parts of myself and I'm going to throw on the mask so that I can make this work. And I did that for years and years and actually became um, one of the best in the company, which is even worse, right? Because when you become inauthentic and it actually works, then you really wire in the that truth. Yeah, it's and, like I, I can't earn a living unless I'm doing this thing that I hate every day. <laughs> yeah, unless I'm not myself because apparently the real me is not good enough. Right? Yeah, totally, right? 
Yeah. So I, I experienced that and I was already on kind of a path of like self-loathing, but I found a lot of success. And, you know, my inner wiring was that like money is like food. You know, it's so important. It's so primal to me because there were times in my life where I simply didn't have it and couldn't, you know, afford to eat or put a roof over my head. And so it was deeply important. And I put my career and, you know, really just making money above my happiness above, you know, everything. And it wasn't until I transferred and I was working in Arizona, living in Arizona, and I transferred to Florida within the company, but for a different position. And all of a sudden, it was like all of my ability to grind it out and do the grunt work and just make things happen just kind of turned off in me. And I started completely panicking, like I've moved across country, and I can't even pretend to be this person that I've been so good at pretending to be. It was just like something, something happened to short circuit, and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I actually kind of fell further into feeling lost and depressed, because that was my only sense of identity was, well, this is what I do for a job, and I'm good at it. And I get praise and, you know, love and connection for it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm questioning all of my thoughts and my beliefs and these feelings that are surfacing in me that just I feel so empty and I feel so not me and not good enough as I am. And it was really this constant nudging. And I spent 30 days completely by myself. I had no like real human interaction when I'd first moved, no friends or anything. And I found myself. And I actually liked what I found, which was the first time that I've ever gone far enough to actually see, oh, like I'm not afraid of what I'd see or I'm not, you know, a piece of crap. And it was like, once you wake up, man, you can't go back to sleep. And so after a few months, I was like, can I take this plunge to just get out of this negative experience and not feel this way anymore? And started making the changes quite drastically, to be honest with you, to create that for myself and step into my authenticity, step into my truths and out of everything that really wasn't working anymore anyway, depending on how you look at it, but wasn't meant for me anymore. Did you notice it all during that time? Like, did you feel a calling to do something specific with your life? Or were you one of the people that said, I have no idea what I want to do, but I know this isn't it? Because that was totally it. Yeah, it's so much easier. You know, I think some people do feel pulled either to another line of work or to a cause or a purpose bigger than themselves. But sometimes, you know, if you've been running on that treadmill, pleasing other people, people for so long, you just end up getting lost from who you are and what you wanted to begin with. So how did you start to negotiate through that? I feel like I was really lucky in the sense that I started, you know, when I made that move all the way over to Florida, I was quite lonely. And so I just started making videos and I'd put them on Facebook about something that I was learning. And I always geeked out in like physics and psychology. And those were kind of my interest points. And so I would just share something that I had recently learned or that I'd been through. And I didn't know it at the time. But what I was really doing was building a client base. And Mm. I knew that I wanted to do something for the world. But I literally thought when I quit my job, I was like, I'm going to like try to build a business, but it's probably not going to work because I didn't really believe in myself at that point. And so I actually had like a full plan of if it doesn't work by the time my savings run out in a few months, then I'm joining the Peace Corps. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That was it. (laughs) So I think that there are so many people nodding their head right now who are agreeing (laughs) with this. And then how hard was it for you just to turn on the webcam and go on Facebook and start sharing authentically these 
interests, these things that you're passionate about, is there any part of you at that point that is thinking, oh, God, people are going to think I'm woo-woo. They're going to think I'm some tree hugger. Like, was there any fear of judgment or did it feel very natural for you? Totally. I mean, the fear never really went away for, I would say, months and months and months. But it was more of, and I think I actually kind of backed that up because I am quite sciencey brained Even though I say I teach manifestation, I'm teaching neuroscience. And so I would always pepper that in because it actually met my need of being grounded in validity. When I would talk about this stuff, I wouldn't be like, okay, guys, it's all meditate. It's all about love, you know, Uh, which I think is great. It just didn't resonate for me. And so I would be talking about how, you know, energy interacts with one another and how that applies to our daily life. So I really got to meet my rules of I need to sound like I'm, you know, I'm bringing in the science of what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I would have probably judged myself right out of even getting the camera to turn on. So as we talk about these five steps that you lay out in the book, Love, It's How I Manifest, there are really uh, five key components that you think are vital for us to, A, connect to our authentic selves, and B, be able to bring that forward into a career, into our relationships and all areas of our life. So where is the best place to start for that person right now who's looking in the mirror and they don't even recognize the reflection that they see because they feel so disconnected, where can they begin? Before I dig into those, I want to, for anyone who's listening, it is so unfortunately normal to look in the mirror and be like, I don't know who's looking back at me. Or Mm. like I would say it, and I say it in the book where it literally felt like there was like saran wrap between me and my soul. I could Mm. see it, but it was like, I couldn't even feel it or touch it, you know, fully. It was so far away, but yet you're like watching it on the movie screen. Like it's right there and you have no idea how to jump into it. And that is, it is a human phenomena that we experience and it is a beautiful one when we overcome it, but it is so painful in those moments. And so for anyone who's going through that right now, it is unfortunately normal, but it's also, you know, you can overcome it. So when I looked at that and I was like, how did I go from, and I was really like mentally, I was a mess. That's how I equated it. I had gotten so far out of my alignment. I did not know who I was. I was people pleasing to a T and I was a chameleon. And it was actually something that people would compliment me on. Mm. I was so good at being whatever anybody needed at any moment in the process, having no sense of my own values or who I was or what I was here on the planet to truly do. And so when I you know, cleared that stuff away, some of it was this concept of living consciously. And this is really the first step. And it sounds so silly, but it's so profoundly impactful because a lot of the reasons that we find ourselves completely lost is because we've built a reality programming and foundation of inauthenticity, which basically just means that our brains are literally neurologically wired to do things that doesn't feel right to also our soul. So what's happening on a biochemical or an electrical nature that we've wired into ourselves to receive like love and connection or to feel okay with ourselves or, you know, kind of override things because we've built some weird programming and wiring within ourselves. When we live consciously, we can see each thing and start breaking it down. So those moments where like, I feel off, you actually have to stop and say, why do I feel off? Why do I feel inauthentic? Why does my relationship suck? Why am I not feeling fulfilled in my work? And sometimes we're afraid to ask those questions because somewhere our subconscious knows we're going to find answers, which means that we have to take action. So we avoid them. But instead, it's through that like bravery of I'm going to choose in each moment that I'm aware of how I feel because our emotions are a feedback of what our thought patterns are. So yeah. I'm willing to step consciously into that. 
I think that's such an important point that emotions are just data. And sometimes we think it's like the boogeyman or the Loch Ness Monster or it's like something hiding in the closet that's going to take us over. But generally, you know, if you're feeling unpleasant emotions, it's just a call for awareness to get back into alignment. And do you find, and maybe this was your case when you were starting this journey, that as those unpleasant emotions came up for you, you would just find ways to numb out and not feel them at all? Totally. I, I was the queen at numbing out. I could distract myself. I would either distract myself with people or with alcohol or just like emotionally just shutting down. You even see kids do that. You know, like when kids don't know how to cope and they just kind of turn into like fight, flight, freeze or faint. Yeah. And they just freeze sometimes and they just look at you and they have no idea what to say. Well, they're actually building that same neurological pathway. They're learning that same coping mechanism. But we do it as humans or as adults. All of us humans do it. But we'll find our vices to help us get to that numbed up state. For sure. I was I was so good at that, too. Social media, cell phone, texting, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And I've always had this as a hunch, and I know that you're based more in neuroscience. So tell me if this is true. We don't get to like pick and choose what emotions we numb out from. I don't think it's like an a la carte menu. I always like it felt like the times when I'm numbing out from the unpleasant emotions, I numb myself from feeling any positive ones. Is that true in your experience? Well, yes and no. So that's absolutely true in the sense of you can't like just shut off the negative ones and then feel the positive ones in fullness. Because ultimately, the, the way that we numb, it affects the whole gamut. So if you're looking at, I don't want to experience the feeling of loss or of rejection, but I want to feel the opposite of that, you know, the duality of it. We can't, we literally can't get there in fullness or in an authentic space. And what I mean by that is like a way where you truly feel it the way you want to feel it. Like you yeah. might feel like false forms of it, or that's really what we see is, well, I want to feel accepted. And so we do some like weird thing that doesn't feel right to us or goes against parts of us to feel that acceptance. So we're like short circuiting the process. The people who like go and call an ex who is toxic for them because totally. the attention feels good in the short term, but leaves you feeling empty when it's over. Absolutely. So what is the best practice for somebody who is completely disassociated from their emotional self? I always think like the first step is just getting back to the point where you can accept the fact that, oh, my God, I actually have emotions. What's the best practice? Is it meditation? Is it mindfulness? Journaling? It depends on the person. So some people hate journaling. I've journaled since I was literally five. And I cannot tell you what that did for me being able to look back and say, what was really going on during that time? What was I experiencing? What were my thoughts? Because it helps me reverse engineer it. But some folks just aren't wired that way. So some might be able to meditate. I'm not a huge meditator. I don't meditate very much. It's not something that I can really sit and do for very long. And so I like tangible stuff. And so the first thing I remember doing at the beginning of my journey that now I tell you know all my clients to do is set an alarm on your phone because we're attached to it anyway. Do it like every hour if you can. Now, this is going to drive you insane at first because you're going to realize there's a lot of cyclical emotions that you don't like and now you have to face them. But it, the first step is figuring out, maybe it's like you you do a, an alarm and it says, what am I feeling right now? What's my dominant emotion right now? And this is just again, and I love what you said earlier, we really have to be unbiased to it and not pour even more emotion because you might find that eight hours a day, you're pissed, you're angry, and that's the dominant emotion. And that sucks. 
sucks to be like, wow, I actually thought I was happier throughout the day and I'm actually miserable. And then you spiral in and of itself because you're yeah. like, well, I'm a lost cause. So you have to see it almost as a, I call it like, I treat myself like a science experiment sometimes. Like, oh, that's interesting. I feel this way over here. This emotion is this feedback here. So you're just collecting data when you're living consciously. It's not about jumping in each one and building a story around it. It's just about let me get the information in front of me so I can be honest about where I'm at. Beautiful. And now the second thing that you talk about in the book is this concept of love versus fear. And it's been written about in other spiritual teachings in the past. But how does it apply into building a more authentic life? So we have this idea that intuition is really like a woo-woo thing. Right. And the reality is, is that it's it's not at all. If you even look at like dogs, their intuition, you know, their intuitive understanding of their environment will help them sense an earthquake before a human can. So our, our intuition actually gives us information way sooner than our brain can and far more clear, if you will. So the love versus fear or sometimes some of my clients call it light versus heavy because love and fear just don't resonate is in each moment when you ask yourself thoughts and these kind of tie into the next steps as well is does this feel light to me? Does this thought feel like it's coming from love or is it coming from fear? Does this action that I'm taking in this moment or this decision that I'm making to, you know, shut down or to go to my ex's house or to continue working my job, is it mainly out of fear? What's the dominant place that it's coming from? Does it feel really heavy when I think about picking up the phone call or, you know, whatever that looks like? And you choose to the best of your ability things that come from that space that makes you feel energetically expanding or feeling like it's coming from love versus those things that continue to kind of shut you down and close out your authenticity. So that is an intuitive pull. And of course, the intuitive muscle, if it's been shut off, has to strengthen over time. So it does take a little bit. So you can start with something simple, like waking up in the morning being like, should I go for a walk? Or should I sit and drink my coffee? Should I journal? Should I take a cold shower? You know, and it's just those little things. And you're really building back up that trust within yourself to make decisions that come from a space of love, or from a feeling of lightness versus living a fear stricken life. I love that. And there's so many people, at least who come to me in my world who are debating between career paths or whether they should leave a soul sucking job. And that's it question that I've always asked is like, if you're, you know, think about just being in the future and being in the same job in six months, does that feel expansive? Does that feel exciting to you? Or do you just feel like you're collapsing on yourself? And it's such a game changer for people when we get out of that prefrontal cortex, you know, and obsessively like, you know, worrying or trying to think things through problems and really just get in touch with feeling, which is what we're talking about with intuition. Absolutely. And some of the world's best minds, as much of a mathematician as they may have been or a scientist, they deeply talk about that same understanding that their intuition is what guided them to their greatest discoveries. So once we've just collected the data and we've observed what we're just noticing and feeling in the body, once we start to check in and assign meanings to it, you know, does this feel expansive? Does it feel like a contraction? Is this love or fear? What would be the third step for people if they're just trying to reconnect to themselves authentically? So a lot of this is this concept I call it. And it's what about you is not you. For some folks, they're like, what does that even mean? Because most people think, well, I'm me. Of course I'm me. My thoughts are my own. And this goes back into childhood programming. And this isn't to blame mom and dad or get to shame our traumas or our experiences in the past. But it's just, again, so that we can see where we create worldviews from. For example, I had a client who 
had been through a very traumatic experience when she was five. And because it was so traumatizing and the way that her brain wired itself in that moment and basically created a worldview around, it ran her entire life after that. So it literally takes one situation. It doesn't always have to be highly traumatic either. Sometimes it's something small that just gets more concrete over time. But when you think about what about you is not you, you're picking apart why am I the way that I am? Like what parts, going back to number two, what parts feel like they come from fear? What parts of me and my thought patterns of my beliefs of my actions feel like they come from, you know, something more love-based? And are they even mine? Did I acquire them from mom, from dad, from that trauma when I was seven, from that time when my friend rejected me? You know, and we realized that, oh, these aren't so authentic. These were just based on the external or the association that I made with them. And the reason this is important is not so much that you can sit here and point fingers at everybody or everything, but it's more so to say, these are not completely true. And it kind of strips them of their power and the ability to kind of remove them from yourself instead of it being a part of your identity. You can pull it outside of yourself and look at it and say, oh, this is just what I was taught, which means I picked it up, which means I can put it back down. Uh, yeah, I love that because there are so many people who just sort of take on these beliefs from childhood as their identity. I'm sure you hear this where people are like, oh, Mandy, you know, I'm not courageous like those other people or, you know, I'm <laughs> risk averse. We develop these stories that really aren't the case. You were swinging across monkey bars in the air and jumping off, you know, the top of your treehouse when you were a kid. But it's what is the moment where you made that decision? It's unsafe. And, and I think if people can really step away from it and get clear, it's such a game changer in remembering who they are and who they were actually raised to be, which are two right. different things. Right, because it really goes back to that human story, which kind of jumping um, the gun here on the fourth step is like this concept of what I call love's eyes. And it's removing the human story. And I call it love's eyes. Some people might call it, you know, universe, higher self, God, Allah, Timbuktu, whatever feels right to them. But it's really seeing things through that elevated space of, do I need to be connected to this in the same way? Is this story really the only truthful story? What is actually true? Which is not what we see just out of our own eyes. It's how do we see it from all angles? How do we see the multiple perceptions and perspectives on this this reality that we create for ourselves, something like, well, I'm just unworthy of love, or I just, I have to work hard in order to make a lot of money, which was totally my belief. And when you pull it apart, you're like, is that true? Is that true all the time? Is there someone that I may have acquired this from? What's my story about that? And is it total BS? And then you, you elevate into that kind of bird's eye view seeing things for what they are. And then again, you can do that whole set it down. You picked it up so you can set it down. But what do I want to pick up now? Who do I want to see as my worldview moving forward? What models can I choose that have acquired this in the way that feels most light to me versus this is just how I'm programmed to achieve what I want in life? Is this the step out of the five that people struggle the most with? Because when I hear you talk about this, like seeing things from all angles, looking at things through love's eyes, it also probably requires a level of forgiveness. I know yes. that that's always the hardest for, for people. But what is the role of forgiveness when you talk about stepping out and looking at this through love's eyes? 
Well, so all humans won't do something unless it some way removes their pain or brings them pleasure. We're, we're actually quite simplistically wired in that way. So I call them perceived rewards. So anytime where it's something like we need to give forgiveness and maybe it was a really messed up thing that happened to us and it's understandably hard to forgive the person, you're not really looking at it. Maybe you really remove the whole need to forgive in the first place. Instead, it's you seeing things as they truly are. Maybe it is that you bring compassion in and you understand how maybe if there's a person involved how messed up that person was or how they did the best that they could or they loved you in the way that they were capable of in that moment but really all you need to do and this really goes back to assuming responsibility for ourselves is how do we perceive the world so it's not about well they did this and they did that because that's probably just helping us stay in our victim mentality there's a reward for it we're like if I stay in this victim mentality of, you know, the world is unjust or someone else always gets the promotion, whatever that looks like, it rewards us. Then we never have to fully show up or we never have to fully let our guard down. You know, there's for some reason we like it. So once you can address that and be honest and assume responsibility for it, dang, like I'm actually continuing. Yeah, that thing might have happened. Maybe I do need to forgive. Maybe I don't. But if I look at the here and now, I'm allowing for this to sabotage me. I'm allowing my association and my perception of it to sabotage me now versus bless and release remove the human story because it's so obsolete at this point and vibe on as if the life that I want to create and the life that's coming forth for me is actually already here, which what version of me needs to exist. Like when I think about that version of me that's overcome this thing or has the perfect job or is doing their purpose work or has a beautiful relationship, how do they view this type of stuff? Did they hold on to it to get there or did they release it? Right. The other piece of this that I guess ties in that we haven't addressed is, yes, you can come at it, you know, with some level of compassion. You can see the other person was messed up. You could see, you know, maybe they were doing the best they could. But when we're looking at things through love's eyes, it, we also have to let ourselves off the hook for the times where we dropped the ball and didn't show up as our highest self, which is sometimes even harder than forgiving the other person. Correct. Absolutely. And sometimes we call it higher and lower selves. And then we get stuck in that, too, because that creates a duality of, well, this one's good and this one's bad. And instead, they're just different. Love that. So we've covered the first four here, talking about living consciously. We've talked about love versus fear. We've talked about really taking inventory about what about you isn't you. And we've covered uh, looking at things through love's eyes to create our most authentic life. There is a fifth step that we have to cover. What is that? So the fifth is this idea of being malleable and it's like being flexible. We tend to, like even right now, if we look at it, if we were to do a belief inventory or like a rules inventory, what rules do we live by in life? We'd have plenty in each area, like love, career, sex, relationships, you name it. And then eventually, as we continue our like our personal development journey, we start breaking some of those rules. It feels really good. What we forget is that we built new rules. And so then we get tied to those rules saying, well, this is what it meant to be authentic for me. This was, you know, what healed me then. And we stop growing. We actually rebuild our box of certainty. And then eventually we outgrow it and it becomes painful again, which is why we see like the roller coaster experience in life of things are great. Things are crappy. Things are great. Things are crappy. It's because we're meant to grow as humans. And when we keep hitting our ceiling and pulling ourselves back down to the basement, well, we sabotage a lot of those results. And then we go back into those very first primal stages and choices that we made. So being malleable is this idea of how can I make sure that going back to step one, 
that I'm living consciously that if a rule pops up or a belief or just a situation where I need to come at it authentically instead of here's my rules and this is what I believe, period, that we come to it with an understanding of consciousness instead and we're willing to be flexible in how we handle life, that we aren't this rigid model anymore, that we're actually flexible. Yeah, I would have to think on some level like the rules that you had in place if you were 25 and single and going up the corporate ladder obviously aren't going to serve you if you're 40 years old and a parent and responsible for another. Like There has to be some sort of evolution and there's going to be a change in your beliefs and rules as you expand, as you get older, as you collect more data. Right. And when you feel that, that emotion that feels off, like that whole love versus fear, like, dang, I'm just feeling like I'm in a heavy space all the time. There are rules that need to be broken. What once worked and you can think and, you know, it, it was great when it was, you know, applicable. Well, now we've got to shift and shake and move into a different way of handling this particular component in life. And that's okay. And it's great to acquire more skills instead of, oh, see, nothing ever works for me or it only works for a little while. And, you know, the association that we build with it instead, it's like, this is awesome. I'm growing and I'm evolving even further. I would think somebody out there listening today is taking in all the info that you're sharing, which is incredible. And you can find it all in Mandy's book, Love, It's How I Manifest. She does a deeper dive into all of these. But there's somebody out there today who is thinking, that's great. I guess I could try to you know, reconnect to who I am authentically. But then once you realize who that is, it's sort of like the step beyond it is letting that be seen in the world. You know, it's reconnecting with the relationship with yourself, but sometimes it might be at odds with the contracts and the agreements we've made with the people around us. Mom and dad, uh, the corporate structure where we're just sort of playing the game. How does somebody then begin to take this once they find this roadmap home to themselves and allow this part of themselves to come forward into the world, their true authentic self without fear of being abandoned, judged, fired, kicked out of the tribe in some way? So unfortunately and fortunately, it takes a massive amount of courage. And hopefully, you you know, whoever's listening doesn't have to get to the point where I was, which was I'm in so much pain that I don't even care anymore how it looks. But, you know, our relationships and the reality and the personalities that we've created within ourselves to get our needs met, we have to realize that the needs will always be met. And they're just going to be met in healthier ways. And sometimes it's not about us abandoning people or being rejected by people, but more so us reconnecting with them in a new way. You know, I, by all means, when I left my corporate job, my mother was like, you dropped out of your PhD to do what? You are an (laughs) idiot. And I I hear that I crave most. Oh, she was like, what are you, what are you doing? And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. My dad told me one day on the phone, he's like, people keep asking me what you're doing for a living. And I don't even know what to tell them. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, why does it matter what someone else thinks of me anyway? But I, you know, you get it because they live in their box and it comes from love, but it wasn't until I was like, you know what? It's all good. It's all good. And so I decided to just move forward with it anyway, try to understand myself better and ask the people that love me saying, hey, I know that I seem different than I've ever seen before. And I'm on a wild journey. If you can love me through this, that'd be awesome. If not, that's awesome too. And I hope to reconnect soon. And really what it did was unplug the unhealthy, you know, cords, if you will, that I had with them. But that didn't mean that they weren't going to replug in in a way healthier way. And a lot of those people actually elevated with me and saw, oh, my gosh, look what you're creating in your life and the success and you trusted yourself and, you know, all this stuff they want to grant for themselves, but didn't have the courage to you become that beacon of light. And it's beautiful. And honestly, the more that you elevate yourself, all of those fears of rejection and of being seen and of doing something totally out of the status quo, 
you find more individuals that are rocking on your wavelength and it doesn't feel so fearful as we assume and we build a reality around it being, it's actually quite rewarding. That's so true. I think that that's one of the major components of we're talking about today, living authentically, but you can also call it finding your purpose, finding your calling, you know, is you become in some ways a role model for other people to do the same. So people will either elevate with you or some of the people who just think it's too weird. If there are relationships that fall to the side, you always end up having them being replaced with things that just feel 10 times richer and more rewarding because you're surrounded with people who value what you value and see you and accept you for who you are, not who they want you to be. Absolutely. Beautiful. I love the conversation today. People can do a deeper dive in this and you create all sorts of exercises and it's really a 30-day journey inward for people in the book called Love. It's How I Manifest. Mandy, how can they find that book? Um, On Amazon, we've got Kindle and then of course the hardback book. Beautiful. And if people want to connect with you on social media or find you online, where can they do that? Yes, they can find my um, fan page on Facebook, just Mandy Morris or Instagram at Manifest with Mandy. And then, of course, my website, MandyMorris.love. Love the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So many great aha moments in that interview. I would love to know what your favorite takeaways were. If you love the interview, please screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. You can just put us in your Insta stories. Tag Mandy at Manifest with Mandy and tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Let us know what was the big takeaway for you that you're going to implement into your life moving forward. Don't forget, you can pick up Mandy's book, Love, It's How I Manifest. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. And if you're looking for a coach or mentor to help you implement the things that you're learning to make that real progress so you can finally create a career that's authentic to who you are, not just who you've had to be to survive the corporate hamster wheel, I've got you. You can look me up and apply for one of my April VIP coaching spots. We got that going on right now at creativesoulcoaching.net. So many different ways that you and I could work together this spring to create a career in life you love. It would be my honor and privilege to serve you. Uh, don't forget, give us a subscription if you're listening on Apple or a follow at the iHeartRadio app. Also, we gladly accept those five-star ratings and reviews. Helps us with the algorithm and so that this message can get out there and reach even more people. I love you so much for listening. I appreciate you. And until next time, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. 
That's right. 159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.